Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. Romans chapter 2, it starts off like this, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man. Well, you start off with the word therefore. You kind of want to stop to see what it's there for, right? So let's just go back a few verses. Paul is talking about people who have sort of turned God off, who have decided, some of them, that God is not even real. He doesn't even exist. Others just decided that they don't have to pay attention. They don't know whether he exists or not, but they can live their own life. And so he goes into a lengthy list of the kinds of sins that people get into. And then verse 32 of chapter 1 says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God. In other words, down inside, these people know that God is not pleased with this, that there is a God and that he's not pleased and that there's going to be a judgment. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. They're not only doing these things, but they're approving, they're voting in favor of, they're condoning people who do these things. And then we get into chapter two, therefore, because of people like this, because this is happening, people are doing these wicked things, these sinful things against God and against what he says, and they're condoning it. Verse one of chapter two, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself for you who judge, practice the same thing. So he's saying it, it's also not good, just like it's not good to do wickedness and to condone and approve and vote for wickedness. He said it's also not right to do wickedness, but to judge people who are doing wickedness because you're doing the same thing. That's not right. Verse two, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. So God is bringing judgment, but this is according to truth. God's, God's truth, God's word is not an opinion. God's word is the truth, right? So if, if you have a bunch of people around that witnessed an accident, well, we can have many opinions about what happened and, and who ran a red light or whatever, okay? That's fine. But there is a truth, there is an actual event that happened, and that's the truth. God always gives the truth. So it says here, but we know that the judgment of God is, is according to truth against those who practice such things. So people will pay a penalty for continuing to oppose God's truth and God's way of explaining things and, and judgments. Verse 3, and do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God. You can't walk in compromise and sin yourself and, and judge other people who are sinning and think you're going to get away with it because you're judging them. No, he said, you're going to be held accountable for your wrongdoing. Verse 4, or do you despise the riches of his goodness? forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. He's saying, you're judging because you know it's wrong, but you're, you're compromising in your own life. Boy, I tell you, we have to stop and take account and say, Lord, I'm not going to try to remove, as it were, the speck from my brother's eye. 
when I have a plank in my eye. Lord, I need to stop and say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my compromises. Wash me in your blood. And then I can preach the truth, but I have to always watch myself that I don't slip into these errors and uh, allow myself or afford myself a compromising lifestyle. But he said, uh, or if you're not going to confront yourself like that, are you despising the riches of the goodness and the forbearance? What is forbearance? God has delayed the judgment, the forbearance. God is bearing with us until the judgment, giving us time to repent. Uh, Are you despising, uh, disdaining, not being grateful for the goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering of God, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. God's giving all this goodness and patience with our sin, trying to appease us and appeal to us to repent and be saved. And are we going to despise that? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, or we might say unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, the more you ignore the goodness of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God, the patience of God, the more you do that, you're just building up for yourself more judgment, more wrath once that judgment is unleashed. So he goes on to say, verse 6, talking about God, God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. See, God's getting down, Paul's getting down to what you actually do. You can always talk what you believe. But it's going to come down to, but what do you do? Because your actions show what you really believe. See, so we're not saved by works, but our works in life. This is what James says. You tell me uh, you have faith, but I'll show you my faith by my works. That's what I really believe. If you really believe God is creator and that he is the judge of the world, then you'll serve him and you'll repent when you sin. But... You can say you believe, but your actions show that you don't. So he says here, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, uh, then, oh, but obey unrighteousness. Well, here's what they have coming to them. Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Watch this, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. So just as salvation comes to the Jew first and also the Greek, so the wrath of God will come on the disobedient to the Jew first and also the Greek. Why? Because just as the Jews first received the scriptures, the covenants, the blessing of Abraham and such, they should be the first one to believe. They should be the first ones to repent. They should be the first ones to walk in alignment with God. So if they reject God, then God says, well, let the punishment come to them first because they knew better above anybody else. Verse 10, But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So on both the good side and on the judgment side, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 11, For there is no partiality with God. No partiality. Somebody said, well, he said the Jew first. Yeah, but he didn't say the Jew only. He just said they they need to receive first, whether it be blessing or judgment. 
Why? Because they knew better. They knew better. That's why. But also to the Greek, for God shows no partiality. God's not going to uh, allow the Jews to get off the hook, but nobody else gets off the hook. God's not going to allow the Jews to have salvation through Jesus, but nobody else gets it. No, no, it comes to the Jews first, but everybody gets it. Everybody gets it. It would be like me, and I bring home some groceries, and and my kids are hungry, so I feed my children and such, but there's extra food. And then I say, I wonder if the neighbors would need some food, you know, hard economic times maybe, and such. But I, I fed my kids because I'm responsible for my kids. But if there's extra, I want to give to the neighbors as well. See, and so in the same way, God said, look, I've made a covenant with the Jews. I've got to give to the Jews because I promised them. That's my responsibility. But, of course, God provided enough for the whole world. For there is no partiality with God. Verse 12, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. Talking about non-Jews. They didn't have any law. They didn't have any Bible scriptures. So as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Talking about Jews and those who know the scriptures. Verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Paul is going to make the case right here in the book of Romans that the just live by faith. In fact, he mentions it in chapter 1. The just live by faith. We're saved not by works. We're saved by faith. He makes that case very well here in the book of Ephesians as well, but also here in the book of Romans. But you can see he's not condoning that we just have faith, but we're not obedient. No, no. He agrees with the book of James that faith without works is dead. So he's saying, verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Not that we're saved by works, but if you really believe, then you'll act like you believe. And those actions of faith, believing that God is God, he is the judge, he's the creator, show that you really believe. And that's how you'll be justified, by the faith that believes so much that you act like you believe it. Verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. So he's saying that even people that have never heard the Bible before, down inside, they know that stealing's wrong. They know that murder's wrong. They know that taking advantage of people is wrong. They know that abusing children is wrong. They, they don't have a Bible. But down inside of themselves, they know. See, because they were created in the image and likeness of God, and there's a knowing inside that there is a right and a wrong. They may not know all the details that the Scriptures give us, but God says they do know, and when they act, according to what they know, the little bit that they know, when they act on it, God says, that's, being, that's going to be taken into consideration that they honored what they knew to be right and wrong. Verse 17, Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law. Okay, now of course, not everybody he's writing to is Jewish, but he's talking now to the Jews. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God 
and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. And of course, when you have the Bible, you you do have the light because the entrance of his word gives light. It just explains things, right? So he's talking to the Jew and he's saying, you're confident that you have an advantage, that you have the law, you have, you have light for the people in darkness, verse 20. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You therefore, listen to this, verse 21, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. In other words, there are people who are preaching the right things, but your life is compromising the very things that you're preaching. And people, when they find that out, they say, see, that's, th- th- this is all uh, nonsense that he's preaching because, look, he doesn't even live it. And so Paul's saying, that kind of compromise is unacceptable. Verse 25, for circumcision, and this is talking about Jewish people, and Jewish people were commanded to be circumcised on the eighth day, the young men. So for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. See, circumcision was to be a sign that we're in covenant with God. But if you're circumcised, but you're not living like you're in a covenant with God, that, that circumcision doesn't mean anything. Didn't mean anything to you. You don't live that way. You don't believe it. See, so he says, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Not talking about physically, but saying the reality of of it is you're not a circumcised person because circumcision, the cutting away of that skin, right? The foreskin is a sign that the sinfulness of our lives needs to be cut away. And if the sinfulness of our lives is not cut away, then something that happened to you as a baby means nothing. It was a sign of what should happen in our lives. So Paul is explaining this, that that little, <laughs> that little procedure, when you were eight days old or whatever, depending on you know what happened in your case, he's saying that's not the big deal. What's really the big deal, that's just a sign of something. The big, the big deal is, has the flesh, the sinfulness and compromise of the flesh, has that been cut out of your life so that you can really live before God in purity and righteousness? Verse 26, therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? The answer is yes, because that's what it's really about. It's not about a little piece of skin. No, it's about our lives. It's a sign of our lives. So he's saying the lives are more important, is the important issue. It's central. Verse 27, and will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? The answer is yes. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, 
but from God. And that's the end of the chapter. So let's just wrap up this concept. This applies to the Gentiles who are not Jewish, whether you were circumcised as uh, or not. And of course, it applies to both male and female. Because the point is that circumcision was just given to give us an illustration in real life that something needs to be cut away, that there's there are parts of our lives that are not from God, they're not pleasing to God, and they're incompatible with God. And so uh, whether a person is circumcised or not, whether they're male or female, if we don't allow the Lord with his word to prune these things out of our lives, and every one of us need to be pruned, as we'll read in the next chapter, there's none righteous, no, not one. If we don't allow the Lord to prune that out of our lives, then we remain spiritually uncircumcised. The gospel did not change us. The gospel did not free us, did not deliver us. And therefore, God's saying that's the reality. The fleshly circumcision uh, on a male is only like the metaphor. It's, it's the analogy that we're all supposed to understand. We need the Lord to prune these things out of our lives because we were all born in sin. And even after you get born again, sin will come back, the mind, the flesh. And we have to continue to allow the word of God to prune these things out of us. And then when we allow that confessing sin as sin, receiving the washing and cleansing by the blood of Jesus afresh again and again as needed, and and walking in that humility before the Lord to acknowledge what is right and what is wrong according to his word, we remain and continually uh, live in a status of spiritual circumcision before the Lord. Paul saying, that's what matters. That's what matters. See, and so, boy, I tell you what, you can see just in two chapters that Paul is getting into the nitty-gritty. And you can imagine so many Jewish believers, talking about believers who, uh, Jewish people who believe Jesus is the Messiah, Yeshua, that they're listening to this and saying, oh man, I didn't understand all of that. I thought it was just being circumcised. And then it's done. And now all of a sudden their eyes are open. Oh, that's what it means. That's what he's talking about. Thank God for the word and thank God for this precious book. I'll see you tomorrow for chapter three. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.